This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, as the Lord continues to prepare his disciples for what they're going to face, he now tells them in verse 38, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. This is the first time that the Lord Jesus has brought up the subject of the cross. Up until this point, no one has any idea how he's going to die. Oh, as the Messiah, he was known to have to die for the sins of the people according to the prophetic scriptures which speak of the Messiah's death. For example, in Isaiah 53, 12, the Messiah is described as he hath poured out his soul unto death, Isaiah 53, 12. Psalm twenty two fifteen, 15, where the Messiah is spoken of, thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Psalm twenty two fifteen, 15, Daniel 9, 26, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So he was very well known that the Messiah was going to die for sins. He shall be cut off, but not for himself. It was very well known. He shall pour out his soul unto death. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Isaiah 53.10. This was all very well known that the Messiah was going to die. But how was he going to die? Nobody knew that. It was known the Messiah was going to be pierced from the prophetic scriptures which speak of the Messiah in Psalm 22:16. They pierced my hands and my feet. As it literally says, a lion was at his hands and his feet. Lions don't lick your hands and feet. Anyway, they pierced my hands and my feet. Zechariah 12:10, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Look upon me whom they have pierced. So from the prophetic scriptures, it was known that the Messiah was going to be a sacrifice to die for sins, and it was somehow going to be involved maybe piercing. But how was this piercing going to take place? 
what would that piercing be that would probably kill the Messiah? Would, that pier- would the Messiah die as a sin sacrifice by the piercing of a sword? That's what you would think. By the piercing of an arrow? That's what you would think. By the piercing of a dart like Absalom did? That's what you would think. It was not known, though, exactly how the piercing would kill the Messiah. There's going to be a piercing of a sword, a piercing of an arrow, a, pierce, a dart. That was well known in Israel. Kings in Israel died that way by swords, by arrows, by darts. No one would have imagined that the Messiah was going to die from the piercing of a Roman cross. Nicodemus, when he came to the Messiah by night, he only could have imagined what it meant when the Messiah told him that night in that secret encounter that night in John 3.14 when he heard when Nicodemus heard the Messiah say, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up? Lifted up? Whatever could that have meant to Nicodemus? Nicodemus never could have imagined that it meant lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a savior. And we can only imagine the shock, because this is the first time he's mentioned it, the cross. We can only imagine the shock of the disciples for them to hear for the first time, the cross? They knew what he was referring to, the Roman cross. The Roman cross was always fatal. No one ever came off alive off a Roman cross. The Roman cross was the most torturous, cruel way known for a man to die. It was a slow death. It was a slow death by dehydration. It was a slow death by effectively drowning, slowly drowning, the lungs filling with fluids. It was a slow and torturous death. It was a humiliating death, naked on the cross, in humiliation, dragged on for hours. It was the most degrading way to die. And the disciples thought, maybe we heard wrong. We want to hear wrong. We don't want to hear that. They must have thought that surely the Messiah didn't say the word cross in verse 38. It just took a while for what, they, what he had said, for it to sink down and for them to mull. What did he just say? He just said, he that taketh not his cross, and followeth after me. And he just said the words, followeth after me. It means he's going to die on a cross. He just said the words, taketh not his cross. It means I'm going to be faced with a choice, accept and take the cross or reject and refuse the cross. He just said the words, not worthy of me. It means that if I decide to not accept and take the cross, that I will lose him as my Messiah. He just said the word, taketh not his cross. That means I have to embrace the cross in a type of a possession, like it's my cross. How horrible. And so all these thoughts are racing through their minds, through their heads. We can just imagine them thinking, let's just forget about it, what he just said. Wipe that out of our memory. That, let's treat his words now about the cross as just a bad dream that I'll pass away. But they may have thought of those things about not wanting to hear them 
and we can imagine that deep inside of them there was a resentment of him talking about the cross. That deep inside of them there was a no refusal, not verbalized, but deep inside. But he didn't let them ignore the cross. And there was another time when he told them in Luke 9, 44, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. He didn't let them just walk away. And yet the resentment inside and the anger against the cross lingered till finally it erupted in the words of Peter in uh, Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And for sure, when Peter said that, Peter was not primarily thinking of the Lord dying on the cross, that that should be far from the Lord. He was thinking about himself following. It was the part about Peter following the Lord with his cross that Peter was thinking about should be far from him. Because death on the cross was just so humiliating. Because it was so public. It wasn't like an execution in some private gas chamber room in San Quentin or some electric chair tucked away. The cross was stationed in the most public, elevated area for everybody to see and observe like a coliseum of entertainment, death. And the cross was stationed in this as a public entertainment. The Romans had a process to it all too. Drag it out where the condemned was seen as associating himself with the cross. The Romans had a, the condemned make the cross their cross, make the cross their possession. They had this walk. We know we talk about the Via della Rosa in Jerusalem. It was a walk through the city with the cross. That was very important to them because that was the time when the cross was becoming personalized as a possession for the condemned. Now, you know, the Romans, they didn't have to do it that way. They could have just had all the crosses up there waiting up at the top of that hill of Golgotha, and when the contempt arrived at the top of the hill of execution, well, they would kneel into the cross, but that's not what they did. What the Romans did is they purposefully had the condemned take the cross and walk with their cross through the city, carrying the cross so that all could see that was their cross that they were gonna die on. Everybody should see that. And they probably, everybody didn't get their own new cross. They probably had a, a cross that someone else had died on. But for that time, for that walk, for that carrying, for that death, that was that person's cross, their own personal cross, which they were gonna die on. It was like each condemned person was forced to carry through the city like they were carrying their coffin, like they were carrying their coffin on their back that they were gonna be laid into. And as the condemned carried their cross, they were carrying their own death. Even though others may have died on that cross, even though there may have been stains of blood of other people on that cross, that cross for that time was their cross. This is what the Lord meant when he said in verse 38, he that taketh not his cross. And when the condemned carried that cross, if that cross could talk, if that cross could speak, that cross would say, 
I have heard the groans of the dying. I have heard their shrieks. I have felt the quiverings of the condemned as they struggled to live and finally failed and they died on me. And if that cross could have spoken, it could have said, I'm not a smooth, polished wood. He said, I am rugged. My surface has splinters, splinters that will stick in you, splinters that will fester in you because that is the death that happens on my surface. A rough death, a rugged death. I am an old rugged cross. I am an emblem of suffering and pain. And so the cross, you would think the cross, the cross is to be shunned. The cross is to be turned away from. The cross is to cover the eyes in horror at. But Paul, Paul found the cross to be embraced. And he found the cross to be appreciated for what it could accomplish in Galatians 3, 6, 14, where Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul could say, I love the cross because the cross cuts the tie between me and the world. I love the cross because the cross frees me from the world and frees the world from me. The world's our great enemy because the world has the potential to make us enemies of God. That's what the world can do. It can make us an enemy of God. James 4, 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And as that condemned, I want you to picture this, as that condemned walked through the streets with his cross, and he passed a restaurant or two with delicious food, and he thought, I'll never go to those restaurants because of this cross I'm carrying. Those restaurants in this city are dead to me. The cross has made those restaurants dead. As that condemned walked through the streets there, and he saw hotels, he saw maybe a bathhouse, he saw maybe a clothing store, he maybe saw a theater, he thought, I'll never enjoy the soft beds of those hotels or the baths there, or the night's clothes, or the shows, all because this cross I'm carrying, this cross has made all those things dead to me. The cross severed the world from the condemned. And that's why, that's why Paul embraced the cross, because the cross severed the world from Paul. And that's why the Lord said in verse 38, he that taketh not up his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. Naturally speaking, let's be honest, let's face it, we love the world. What's not to love? We love the pleasures of the world. We love the sights of the world. We love the pride of living in the world. And that love of the world is fatal to us because we're told in 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so what has the potential of breaking our love of the world? The cross, the cross. When those condemned walked through that city with their crosses, they were holding in their hands the reminder, we're gonna die. They haven't been put to death yet, but as they touched that cross, as they're carrying it, and they touched it, and then they, as they're touching it, 
They're looking at the world they're walking through. The touch of that cross reminds them they have no future. They have no future in this city or in this world as they thought, Galatians 6.14, they thought. The cross by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's why the cross is a good thing for us. That's why we must take up our cross. It's a reminder of our death that we're gonna be severed from the world. You know, people make, get it all wrong when they say, oh, I got this sore hip, that's my cross. It can be, but we're not talking about pain. Keep in mind, take his cross is before the pain of crucifixion. It's the walk through the city. There's no pain involved here. It's the carrying of the cross. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, oh, my mother-in-law, what a cross she is to bear. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about hardships here. He's talking about reminder of death. That's the cross is not your painful situation or this financial problem. That's not the cross he's talking about. He's talking about taking the cross and walking through the city and touching that cross and being reminded of death. Maybe that cross is an incurable condition that will eventually be fatal, like diabetes, like heart disease, that reminds us that we have no future in the world. Maybe it's a walk through the cemetery. It'll do the same thing. That'll remind us we have no future in the world. You know, for nine years, I've had AFib and all the meds, and my heart is just worn out, and it beats now in the 40s and sometimes in the 30s. Well, tomorrow, I'm gonna check into the hospital to receive a pacemaker, in which I'll be able to feel under my skin. And I'm looking forward to that pacemaker, sort of. I'm looking forward to that bulge in my skin under my collarbone, because that's what the pacemaker is going to create, because that pacemaker will be my cross. Not that it's painful, but I'll be able to reach up and feel that thing under my skin there and realize I have no future in this world. Just like the condemned feeling that cross, as they were reminded, they have no future in the world. That pacemaker is going to be, for me, my Galatians 6.14 pacemaker. Galatians 6.14, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I want that pacemaker, pacemaker to be programmed to sing. When I touch it, this world's not my home. <laughs> I'm just a passing through. My treasure's laid up. All right, that's what I want. I'll talk to the doctor about that tomorrow. That's what I'll do. Because it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing to have a secret love of the world in the heart. It's very dangerous. It was dangerous for Lot's wife, fatally dangerous for her when she left Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19:12. The men said unto Lot, hast thou here any beside son-in-law, thy sons, thy daughters, whatsoever the house in the city, bring them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, married Lot's wife's daughters, and said, up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-laws. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened hot, saying, arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be destroyed in the iniquity of the city. While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Genesis 19, 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city and, all, and that which grew upon the ground. 
But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. She became a pillar of salt. Why did she look back? Why did she look back? Oh, that's easy. She looked back because she had daughters in that city, because she had grandchildren back there in Sodom. She had her house that she liked back there in Sodom. She had her friends that she liked back there in Sodom. What was wrong with her looking back? Because her daughters were there and her grandchildren were there, her house, her friends. What was wrong with that? She loved her daughters and her grandchildren more than God, and therefore she wasn't worthy of God. She loved her house more than God, and therefore she wasn't worthy of God. She loved her friends more than God, and therefore she wasn't worthy of God. And the cross is able to break that attraction. To come to Christ is to declare war on the world, and that's the value of the cross. It breaks the love between us and the world. And that's why he said in verse 38, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And he that findeth his life shall lose it. What? And he that loses his life shall find it. What is he talking about? He that findeth his life shall lose it. Physical life, life of the world, worldly life. And he that loseth his life for my sake physical life or worldly life, shall find it, spiritual life. Now, finally, in this section, he closes with the instruction for what does it mean to receive the Lord? What does it mean to receive the Lord? Everybody says, oh, receive the Lord, be saved. What does that mean? Oh, you just say this formula here. You go, oh, sin here. No, what does it mean? He explains here in verse 40. Here it is. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me, and then he goes on to describe more about that. But that's the principle in verse 40. He that receiveth you receives me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me, and then he talks about in the name of, in the name of, in the name of. He told them, what he was telling them is that you are ambassadors for me. Just like it says in Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. They are ambassadors with the gospel for how to be reconciled to God. And as they go out in his name, with his message, his gospel message on how to be reconciled to God, repent of your sins, repent of your sins, and receive the Messiah. As they go out with that message, he is telling them, if a person receives you with your message, and doesn't turn you away, but he receives you, he's receiving me. How that person reacts to you is the same of how that person reacting to me. Come in, come in, please. I wanna learn everything about what you've learned from the master. My house is your house. My attention is unstopped. I want you to tell me every word that the master has told you. That's a person who has received me, he told them. He that receives you, receives me. And if the lost receive them, as they brought the gospel to them, the lost would be receiving him. That's how closely he is linked to his own. So close that he says in verse 40, he that receiveth you receiveth me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being so clear, for being so good to us, Lord, for laying out all this preparation so that your disciples, Lord Jesus, would not fail, 
And we don't want to fail you either, so help us to absorb it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.